So uh, we've been looking at <coughs> uh, Advent, which is obviously a period of waiting. I'm going to be waiting to ride my motorbike for the next six weeks. Um, yeah, Jim and Jeremy over the last couple of weeks have been exploring both um, uh, why we need to wait for God, but also some of the ways we can wait for God. And uh, one of the things I'm going to be talking about this morning is what are we waiting for? One of the, one of the things we need to be aware of uh, as we walk through this uh, life that we call uh, faith, Christianity, whatever, is what are we actually heading towards? What's our trajectory? Uh, to find out some of the details of that, we're going to look at the book of Revelation, which is my favorite book of the Bible, uh, where the Apostle John gives us a vision of what uh, uh, we're to look forward to. But before I get into the meat of uh, my talk, I just want to kind of uh, clear up a couple of common confusions concerning the book of Revelation. Does this stand going higher? Yeah. That would be really helpful. It's a tin set. Yeah. yeah, I'm quite sure. Thank you. That's perfect. First of all, it's revelation, not revelations. Uh, be suspicious of anybody who talks about the book of revelations. Uh, it's simply uh, John, the apostle, describing um, the revelation of Jesus Christ that he saw one day when he was worshipping on the Isle of Patmos. All right, second confusion. We need to talk about the apocalypse because you've been using it wrong. Um, the Greek word apocalypsis, from where we get apocalypse, basically the best translation for that word is revelation. Uh, it could also mean something like uncovering or unveiling or something like that. Basically, the point of an apocalypse is when something that is normally concealed is revealed. In the case of uh, the apocalypse of John, he... Uh, gets to see into the heavenly realm, which is normally uh, concealed from people's eyes, and he gets to see stuff that's going on there. Lastly, I just want to mention the rapture. If you ha has everyone heard of the rapture? This is apparently when uh, all those whom God uh, selects to be with him are going to be sort of yoinked up. Uh, uh, in, in, into the sky we're all going to go floating off into the sky and then everybody is going to be left behind uh, for, an, for an additional thousand years of, uh, of suffering um, that isn't in the bible by the way so rapture, not a Christian uh, thing, just forget about it not going to happen anyway, just now we've got that out of the way good now I can get, get around to talking what the Revelation is actually about. And we're going to turn to Revelation 21. And I'm just going to read uh, from the NRSV. And uh, you can read along using your Bibles or Bible devices. And uh, it'll be on the screen as well. And this is John speaking. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning 
and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And we're just going to skip uh, to verse 22 here. I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night. People will bring into it the glory and the honour of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practises abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And I'm just going to continue just uh, for a few verses here. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night they need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. For the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. See, I am coming. Soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. It's a difficult thing to try and live by when it's as flipping confusing as it is. So I'm going to try and un un unravel some of what all of this means. We skipped a few verses there, by the way, not because they're unimportant, but because they're so packed with detail, um, symbolic uh, richness of jewels and gates and names and things like that, all that point to... Um, the way that God is building this city to incorporate the whole um, of all that is good and all that is holy about human culture ever since it was created. Now at Christmas, it seems an odd time to be talking about this because we're celebrating uh, that historical event that changed everything, the birth of Jesus, who was also called Emmanuel, God with us. But unlike those who were waiting for Jesus' birth, we're sort of on the other side of history. So we aren't waiting for his birth. He's been born. He's lived. He's died. 
He was raised to life again. He's ascended into heaven. So what now? In the last couple of months, we've been exploring uh, the book of Acts, and we're going to continue doing that in the next year. That describes the coming of the Holy Spirit, bringing about the period of history which we still now find ourselves in, the age of the church, where we too have access to the same power of God that Jesus had access to. It's really difficult to just kind of say that and skip over that. But let me just let me just say it again. We have the same access to God's power that Jesus had access to. He said we would be more than conquerors, that we would do more than he did. But is that it? Is that what we're left with for the rest of human existence? Is that the last episode? Well, no. But what is going to happen next? Well, you might call me crazy for suggesting that I do know what's going to happen next. Um, But as we've already looked at in the Advent story, the birth of Jesus was foretold centuries before it happened. Because God revealed it to the prophets. And the same God has revealed what's going to happen next for us on the stage of human history. And part of that vision is this beautiful new creation. I wanted to... It's so easy with Revelation to kind of go down rabbit holes and just explore the symbolism of this and that and I've studied it in in quite a lot of depth and I could quite happily do that for hours. So, buckle up. (laughs) No, I'm not going to do that. Actually, when I was preparing this talk, the the overriding feeling I had was not that I was to come with eloquent words about the construction of this beautiful piece of literature, but really just with the fact that I have this ache in my body that is nothing to do with my hand. (laughs) Just a longing for this reality that John describes. I just want it so badly. And I wanted to somehow communicate that to you. That if, If we can leave this morning just hungry what God is preparing for us, then I think I'll have done my job. The immediate presence of God, that's what's described in this vision, with no resistance left standing any longer. God himself wiping away my tears. As we enter into a new age where death and pain and sorrow are no longer a feature, something so deep within me cries out for that so loudly that I know it's what I'm made for. What we know and what we experience now, it, that, it surely cannot be it. I know that's not a really eloquent, persuasive argument, but this can't, this can't be it. There has to be more. We know it. My mind knows it, my body knows it, and God has promised it. 
So call me crazy, I don't care. Those are two bits of evidence right there. God has said it, and I know it. And even though sometimes it looks like the world is without hope, God has actually already won the victory, and nothing can shake his eternal plan. His victory is already won. So, that basically means that I need not fear Brexit, nor Trump, nor anything on earth that presents itself as either the solution or the problem to end all solutions or problems. Our hope and our fear must not be placed in anything of this world. Whether a new government, a new uh, independence from Europe, a new independence from the United Kingdom, if that's your bag, a new job, a new car, a new phone, whatever you're going to unwrap on Christmas Day here, it is not going to be the solution to your problems. These are simply landmarks on the journey, parts of the scenery. Any kind of success or failure in this world is not the be-all and end-all of our lives because success and failure, they're just the inevitable features along the road that inexorably leads to one place, and that's God's future. He's established it. It cannot be shaken. And we have to live with that view constantly on our horizon, keeping everything else in perspective in relation to that reality. This reality is one where we are completely immersed in God's presence, where we see him face to face. Nothing can separate us from him. Nothing can harm us. God's presence uh, means life in the sense that we've never known it before. Life because it's completely free from anything that threatens it and because it's completely connected to the ultimate source of life. God himself. It's just impossible to imagine, but at the same time, we know that we're made for that reality. This is why books like Revelation are so hard to understand, because they're like, first of all, John is seeing something, and then he's trying to describe it in words. Now, the thing that he sees is, is so unlike anything that he knows in, in the real world that it's so impossible to describe. So he's trying to put into word form a picture that he couldn't, that people have attempted to, to, to create some of the most magnificent works of art, our depictions of this book. But they're awkward, they're a little clumsy. You can't quite capture the reality because it's just so not of this world. But if you ever spend any time just meditating on these words, you get a sense not only of their rightness, but also of their possibility. That God will bring it about. And actually there's nothing about this reality that we could create. There's nothing about this reality that could come about by merely human effort. It has to be God. 
And God has shown himself, like these words say, to be trustworthy and true. He's competent to do this. So I've only actually got a few more things to say, and most of them are from the book of Revelation itself. Um, because, like I said, I didn't want to come to you with any, any kind of um, detailed scholarly exposition. But really just with this sense of longing for this future that God has for us. John's purpose in narrating this vision and writing it down uh, is not just to give a sense of what the future holds, but also to have um, some understanding of how that future should affect the way that we live now. It's not just pie in the sky when you die. Pie in the sky uh, theology has actually led Christians through the ages to accept all manners, uh, all manner of wickedness in this life, whether towards our fellow brothers and sisters or towards the creation that we are responsible for. So I want to draw your, line, your, your attention to just one line in the verses uh, that we just read out. It says, Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. So those uh, who will inherit this reality of living in the presence of God, where neither death nor sorrow can enter in, are called those who conquer. So what does that mean, to conquer? For that, we need to look at earlier passages in the Revelation, where Jesus himself addresses seven churches. We don't need to put them up because I'm going to sort of, uh, paraphrase them. Um, numbers in Revelation are not random. They, uh, they carry, they're pregnant with meaning. And the number seven uh, is significant because it's the, it's the number that depicts wholeness, completeness, fullness. So by addressing seven churches, seven specific churches, he is actually addressing all churches for all time. It doesn't mean that the specific messages he was saying weren't um, relevant to the specific churches at the time and uh, that they wouldn't have understood exactly what he was talking about. But this literature is capable of reaching beyond those specifics and teaching us about how we too are to become conquerors. So I'm just going to summarise some of these messages to the seven churches so that we can get a sense of the life that we're supposed to experience between now and that time when heaven comes down with the new Jerusalem. We are to endure patiently, bearing up for the sake of the name of Jesus and not growing weary. We're to hold on to the first love we experienced, which brings about good works. We will be afflicted. We will experience poverty. We will experience suffering. But we're not to fear any of those things. We're not to deny the faith that we have in Jesus under any circumstances, whether we're threatened with violence or any other form of fear. Coercion. Our lives are to be characterised by these things faith, love, service, and patient endurance. Mm. 
We're not to become idle, falling asleep, but we're to wake up, take strength, remember what we've heard and received, obey it, and repent. We're to keep the word of Jesus and not deny his name. We're to lay aside our love of riches and instead count the intimate presence of Jesus in our life as our greatest treasure. If we do these things, we're told that we will conquer. Those who conquer will inherit what God has prepared for his children. This is what he tells the churches. To everyone who conquers, God gives permission to eat from the tree of life that is in paradise. Whoever conquers will not be harmed by the second death. I mean, who wouldn't want that? To everyone who conquers, Jesus says he will give some of the hidden manna. He'll also give us a white stone on which is written a new name. No one knows this name except the one who receives it. Curious. So the one who conquers Jesus will give us the morning star. Whatever that means. Speak to me later if you're really interested in what that means. If you conquer, you'll be clothed in white like those whose names are in the book of life. Jesus himself will confess your name before the Father and before angels. Can you imagine? Just standing there, Jesus says, this guy, this girl, they're with me. Jesus says, if you conquer, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You will never go out of it. I'll write on you the name of God, the name of the city of my God, and my own new name. I know I'm a little high at the moment. <laughs> but we're talking, we're talking burning bush moment for us here right now. It's talking about God actually saying, I have a new name, and this is what it is. Here's the biggie. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. That song we sang, King of Kings Majesty, that God himself puts around us a, a royal robe that we don't deserve. We don't enter heaven as mere subjects of the king. We enter into heaven as those who reign with him. This is how kind, how generous, how loving, how open our God is that he would call us into kingship with himself. He would put upon us the authority that he himself has. In the vineyard, we love the prayer, come Holy Spirit, and rightly so. But we should also learn to love the prayer, come Lord Jesus. It's only when Jesus returns to claim his victory that this new Jerusalem shall be revealed. His Spirit is here, his Holy Spirit is here with us. But he's here as a deposit and a guarantee of his promise. 
Jesus said the Spirit was our comforter. It's precisely because the world is not the way it's supposed to be that we need comfort. We mustn't stop longing for his return. We mustn't allow our gaze to drop off of that horizon. The Trinity is a, is a really difficult theological concept to grasp, and anyone who tries to say that they've grasped it, you need to disbelieve them immediately. Um, but here's one little aspect of it that we can try and grasp. But on Christmas Day, God came to us as a human being called Jesus. It's not until that same human being comes back that we will experience the reality of John's vision. The first time he came as a baby born to refugees who were fleeing genocide. When he comes again, he comes victorious, putting all threat of adversity to an end. The gates of this new Jerusalem are forever open. Why? Because there's nothing left that can come against it. So we're going to have a time of ministry now, which is basically an opportunity to, um, to stand alongside other members of this church and uh, welcome uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He loves to partner with us. just in the way that he wants to partner with us in, in his rule and reign in the new Jerusalem. And I'm just going to use some more words uh, of, of Jesus from Revelation. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. That's it. We're given this promise that one day we might enter in to this city that God has prepared for us. But first, we need to actually invite Jesus to enter in to our hearts, to our lives. He's knocking. The door only opens from the inside. The future that God promises is one where he himself is our dwelling place, but the, few, the, the, the present reality is one where he comes and dwells in us. If we want to experience a taste of that future in our present, we need to respond now to his voice and welcome him in. Say, come, Lord Jesus. Why don't we stand and I'll pray. Lord, you have so graciously gifted us with this vision of a beautiful future with you. Would you 
Would you impress it upon our hearts, upon our minds, that we might never lose sight of it? God, the cry of our hearts is that you would come, that you would bring it about. Would you forgive us for the ways that we have corrupted the gifts that you've given us? Would you start again? Bring your victory. This Christmas, We reflect not just on how you were born as a baby that first time, but also on how you will return with victory in your hands. To bring us into your presence, to wipe away our tears. So Lord, now where we still have a great deal to weep about, Lord, we come before you and we ask for the ministry of your Holy Spirit to come and comfort us, to heal us, to encourage us.